Welcome to the first episode of Series 2 of our Innovation in Energy podcast. I'm Claire Reid, a partner at PwC, and I lead our practice in Scotland. And for today, the Innovation in Energy podcast host. And I have to say I'm very excited about this for a number of reasons. Firstly, because we're going to be talking a lot about the role of COP26 and helping to bridge the gap between the investment needed to reach net zero and the levels of investment we currently see in the technologies needed to get us there. And there is a big gap that has been growing. With COP26 due to take place in Glasgow, very close to home for me, it's going to be fascinating to explore just how certain stakeholders may react to the outcomes from the conference. To delve into this subject, I'm delighted to welcome to our virtual studio, Lauren Slade, who's CEO of the Global Infrastructure Investors Association, and Yara Korpanek of Allianz Capital Partners. We're also joined by PwC's own Colin Smith, who, as a partner, leads our transaction services, energy utilities, and infrastructure team. So, Colin, I'm going to come to you first to open up this podcast. So late last year, PwC was commissioned by GIIA to undertake research to understand the environment and dynamics of asset investors in energy, transport and digital infrastructure with an eye to enable a viable pathway to achieve net zero. Could you give our listeners a quick insight into the findings and bring us up to speed with what was included in that report? Yeah, very pleased to, Claire. Um, yes, yeah, so just perhaps just to recap, um, last autumn, um, we spent a lot of time pulling together all the various research pieces, um, as well as the industry uh, and government submissions, um, together with uh, undertaking our own interviews with um, investors and financiers, including Allianz, um, as well as a whole bunch of our own calculations, with the principal aim to estimate the levels of infrastructure investment that were needed if we're going to achieve our net zero commitments um, in the UK. Um, I think. It's fair to say the findings themselves were perhaps unsurprising that we need to invest a lot. I think we, we all thought that coming into it. But it was, for me, the scale of the uncommitted and unregulated expenditure that was staggering. Um, I mean, broadly, we estimated that over the next decade, around £40 billion of investments in UK infrastructure would be required each year if we're going to hit net zero. Um, and only half of that is covered under existing regulatory or supported frameworks, such as you know, electricity grids and renewable generation. Um, looking over the decade, the remaining 200 billion covers hugely important areas such as hydrogen, carbon capture and storage, um, EV charging, um, renewable and low carbon heat. And whilst there's enormous appetite to provide the investment firepower and huge competition uh, for investable opportunities out there, um, there simply aren't the fixed policies and support frameworks currently that will provide sufficient confidence to financial investors in many of these areas. Now, look, whilst this all sounds a bit big and scary, I think there is hope. Um, and if you look at the huge success of, say, offshore wind, um, what we saw there was that early government support across Europe gave manufacturers confidence to invest in technology um, and it gave energy and investors the confidence to fund and build those assets. And we've now really reached a stage where very, very little government subsidization is needed in those in those areas. Um, and that generation is becoming a mainstay of both the UK's, but obviously all, all the way across European power requirements. 
so I think there's a, there's we need to have a lot of optimism, but at the same time the challenge is uh, is profound. Yeah, it's great to hear um, you know that the the parallel drawn with um, you know your example there of offshore wind. If I could just maybe um, invite Lawrence to comment as well and share some of the reflections from your side. Yeah, thank you very much, Claire. I mean, I think as as Colin says, there are some great examples of of how we've moved the game forward uh, since we did the report and, and offshore wind is, is obviously the one that everyone falls back on. Um, but I think that the problem from the investor perspective is, is that we need that additional clarity from government right the way across the economy. It's very tempting to just look at net zero as, a, as an energy issue, but actually, of course, it touches every element of, of our society. And so we need that movement right the way across the, the economy to, to deal with the other 50% of areas, as Colin said, that are, that are lacking that, that policy environment to help investors uh, move this forward. And it's not, it's not a UK specific issue. I think it's, it's something that uh, governments across Europe, across the North America and elsewhere are, are, are finding difficult. So we've all got to work together to, to solve this. But I think ultimately the, the sort of the positive thing from a private investor angle is that private capital absolutely stands ready to, to meet this. And, and, you know, the UK has a great record for uh, direct investment and our investor members are, are ready to help supply that capital. We've just got to get that policy environment in place. Well, that, that's a perfect segue, uh, Lawrence, uh, to, to come to Yara just on that point there. And I guess to hear from your perspective, Yara, um, you know, as, a, as an investor yourself, um, what sort of impact this has on you and, and your, your, um, your organisation? Thank you, and thank you very much for the introduction. As you all might know, uh, we, uh, as Allianz Capital Partners, have been investing in infrastructure um, across Europe for the past 13 years, um, and we are a long-term investor. So our investment horizon is a horizon of 20, 30-plus years. Um, we are not short of capital, and we want to contribute uh, to net zero, to energy transition. Uh, but for us, it is a question of finding the right opportunities. And when I say what are the right opportunities? Well, it is opportunities within an environment for, for investors, where investors have enough confidence in the regulatory framework, where they have enough confidence in the government guidance and where the opportunity is being created by a partnership between the government and between the private investors. So, for example, the UK government has published in the middle of August the long-awaited strategy on hydrogen. And that does set out uh, a foundation of how the government expects the public and, and private um, investors to work together. But what it lacks, again, it lacks the precise and concise guidance and the precise framework which will set out um, the, the risks, really, that the investors are taking. And by the risk, it's a, it's a risk reward mechanism that we need to understand better in order to deploy the vast amounts of capital that we want to do on a long-term basis. That, that's um, that's fascinating, Yara, particularly your point about um, you know, the government's hydrogen strategy. It's certainly a very positive move in the right direction there. Um, 
Lawrence, if I can come to you just on that point that, that, that Yara mentioned around the um, kind of public-private alignment here, um, what, what other progress have you seen being made, I guess, since the, the report was launched? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think since, yeah, as, as, uh, as Yara mentioned, we've we had the, the recent publication of, uh, of the hydrogen strategy, but which was great in terms of showing an overall direction of travel or where the government's thinking. But of course, the problem was that instead of it actually containing hard policy that we can then move forward with, it's another consultation. And I think it's it's a sort of an example, as I say earlier, of um, the government struggling to really be able to build the policies and link everything together. And again, that's going to cause us as problems because every quarter that goes by is is a is three months that we're not going to get back in terms of how we're delivering uh, against net zero. But then the flip side of the coin is positives like the the recent. Uh, CFD auction announcement, uh, which just goes to show what can happen when government really does get its act together and, and creates a framework where we've seen billions of investment uh, coming forward into offshore wind and, of course, now into solar and, and onshore wind as well. So there is some positive there, but I think, it, it again, it comes down to how we can get that cross-sector and, and cross-government um, movement to really think as one and that means bays it means uh, treasury defra department of transport dit all working together with the, the the ambition to to move the agenda forward and allow investors to to really be able to see this long-term project pipeline that 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 shouts out that the uk is not just ready for investment in the in the next couple of years but actually you can see as yara said that that project pipeline over the next couple of decades that really builds investor confidence up yeah absolutely and, and just reflecting what you said there there's clearly a complex set of stakeholders involved and in, uh, in bringing all this together and um, colin i'm just going to ask uh, kind of come to you to to kind of chip in here around i guess your thoughts about you know any any immediate areas you think would would require some some attention here to really move this move this agenda forward? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to I'll start by saying I think it's interesting that Lawrence mentions the CFD auction because I think that that really proves the point that um, it's a great example of what happens when you create reliable frameworks, um, you know, around proven but also developing technologies. And it does show that the private sector is prepared to price risk and is happy pricing risk and you know working with uncertainty. Um, but it clearly needs clarity around policy aims. And, and for me, that's the critical thing here. So I mean, to come on to your question, Claire, um, I mean, I think if, if we remove sort of hydrogen and carbon capture from the equation, because I think, you know, to Gareth's point, there are frameworks being developed around those areas. And I think particularly with the coal generation, actually, perversely, that we've seen over the past um, few weeks, I think we, we are demonstrating that, that, you know, there still will be a, a reliance at certain points of the cycle on um, um, carbon producing energy but we, we clearly need a way to work out how to, to make sure that minimizes the impact on the environment um, but I think there's two areas where where we need the most focus for me um, the first one's on the domestic side and the heating and buildings specifically um, in the UK um, unlike so many places in Europe where they really have developed uh, district heating as a construct and people are very comfortable with that we don't have that uh, luxury in the UK 
um, and decarbonizing heat is, is, is fundamental and will, will require many of us to personally make changes in our homes. So I think starting to set out how we're going to achieve this, what role will hydrogen play? You know, will we have to convert um, um, boilers to heat pumps? And how will the government incentivize um, and encourage people to do that? I think that's really important and, and clearly will be quite a difficult policy area. Um, I think the other thing for me is just standing back and there's such a huge development in uh, technology required here that the UK needs to develop the overall net zero strategy. Um, Scotland's got its own, you'll, you'll know clearly. Um, I think yes, you know, the UK uh, as a absolutely. whole is, is, is still developing, developing ours. Um, and I, for me, whilst they're not going to answer all the questions and that's clear, I do think there needs to be a focus on you know, how the various technologies and developments are seen, how they're going to fit together um, and what frameworks will be created to encourage um, technological progress and investment. Um, as I said before, the private sector needs to understand the risk and then they'll be able to sort of price investment returns accordingly. Thanks very much for that, Colin. I think I wouldn't mind just jumping to Yara to get her reflections on your your, your first point you made there around um, the, the decarbonisation of heat. And if you've got some thoughts and reflections on that, Yara. I 100% I agree with what uh, Colin has said. Um, and in particular in the UK, heat um, is a big contributor to carbon emissions. So we need to talk about solutions which are practical and which are realistic from the perspective of the of the end users. Um, and this is where the dialogue needs to be opened uh, between private investors, between the governments and between the regulator. Um, and, and we all need to look at um, positive implications of, um, of, of some, uh, some of the innovations and also negative ones. Um, and for that, for example, I think we need, to, we need to focus on delivering hydrogen for, for heat travel, but we also need to look at other areas such as transport, again, where hydrogen could play a key role. Um, you know, we also have to think about electric cars. Electric cars are positive. Um, but at which stage, at what stage do you get the positive outcome, for example, of an electric car? What is the length of the journey that you get the upside versus the cost? So the risk assessment really has to be made in every single area um, of, um, of energy, energy use, as if it were. But I do agree coming back, heat um, and buildings is absolute key area um, to tackle uh, in the UK. And I think that is where private sector and public sector and the regulator need to come to the table and find solutions um, which are viable for the current generation as well as for the generations to come in the future. Yeah, very well said. I couldn't agree more with you there that, you know, these are complex areas and I think what, what you've just brought to life is that government alone can't solve this and is absolutely will need the expertise and capital from the, the private uh, community to support in, um, in, in, in reaching the ambitions that have been outlined. Which brings me right on to COP, which as I signaled at the start of our podcast to, to our listeners, that is just uh, you know around the corner for us all. Um, and I fully expect uh, this is a great opportunity to bring these stakeholder groups together 
I, I wouldn't mind just uh, going around our, our panellists just um, to get your reflections or thoughts around the role that COP uh, could play um, in this space and in the broader landscape for infrastructure investment. Uh, and I might actually come to you first, Lawrence, uh, and, and then to Colin and Yara for your for your thoughts here, please. Absolutely, thanks. I think one of the things to, to remember is that uh, COP isn't a magic wand that's going to solve all of our problems instantly. I think it's it's almost the beginning of a journey where I hope coming out of it, we get a lot more clarity around government action because, or government's action, because I think that the investment infrastructure investment community is really looking for a guide on, on how everything fits together, though all the different parts of our economies will, will work and link and actually sort of some really clear milestones that so we can see how policies and how regulatory frameworks will be developed and over the time scale and then how project pipelines fit within that it's sort of like um to use a sporting analogy so we see the government as putting the lines on the pitch um so investors have that clarity on where when and how they can play if you follow me and i think we've also got to recognize that in something like this where we're decarbonizing not just um, our economy but developed economies developing economies we haven't really done this before so of course there are going to be mistakes and i think it, given that background we all need to be working together and having these dialogues that help us understand what we've done right and what we've done wrong and how we can improve that how we can improve um, the reg regulation that fits around this that helps us guide all of that and I think lastly, the sort of the six months past the conference are probably going to be the most critical as you start seeing those uh, commitments and announcements made during the, the conference itself. Yeah. How do they actually fall out into hard policy decisions? And do we see concrete moves that will uh, help our investor members start deploying the hundreds of billions uh, that they have ready to go as dry powder? Yeah, I I I am. Um, I was kind of laughing away on on mute there about your um, you know COP, COP is very much a moment in time and it's not going to solve all our world problems, but certainly some of the expectations that are being raised are significant. Um, Colin, I, I said I'd come to you next. I guess just reflecting on some of the you know negotiations and targets, and I guess some of the policy expectations around COP um, and, and 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 any any views on that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I was also laughing at uh, Lawrence's uh, sporting metaphor. Um, look, I think he's absolutely right. Um, I think there's there's certain areas where you probably don't need the tram lines, where where jumpers for goalposts will do. Um, particularly if you look at say EV charging, um, you know we've seen with 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 this combination of government stating policy around the phasing out of ICE vehicles and some fantastic technology development, which has enabled EV um, EVs to come onto the market um, at relatively low cost. Um, you're seeing the infrastructure, therefore, racing to catch up with the, the consumer demand um, and hence lots of uh, private capital going into things like EV charging networks um, at, at motorway services and, um, and, and on street as well. So you really don't need, I think, in, the, in those sort of areas um, to have hugely detailed government frameworks because the, it will be consumer led. However, clearly there are other areas. Um, carbon capture and storage is a very good one. Um, you know, we still are seeing a, a significant demand for um, carbon-led um, generation, particularly to make up for, for times of wind efficiency. 
Um, so we're going to have to look at uh, carbon capture and storage and how we're going to fund that. Um, and as Yara's pointed out earlier, we're going to have to look at hydrogen and its role uh, within the gas system. Um, and, and all of those areas won't be areas where there'll be um, consumer demand. Uh, they're going to have to be areas where um, consumer take up will need to be incentivized uh, and where, where government policy and regulatory frameworks will need to, uh, to cover investment returns. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's a great, great summary, Colin. Um, and I think I've got time for uh, one, one final uh, comment from you, Yara, I guess, just to help me wrap, wrap up this podcast for our listeners. I guess it'd be great to kind of finish with what, what you um, anticipate is going to be the most important action coming out of COP that you would like to see for your organisation and investors. I think, as my colleagues have said before, we cannot expect solution to all problems and it would not be realistic. What we want is we want clear guidelines uh, and we probably want from the government to then delegate development of policies, of long-term policies to certain bodies who can then work with the industry to develop certain standards for a low carbon economy. We also need to have guidelines and goalposts which are realistic. We cannot expect, uh, and it would be disappointing if we had from COP an immediate transition to uh, um, a, a, an economy that doesn't have any carbon. We have to accept that there is also a role of gas, that gas is going to play as a transition fuel. And we have to think about this as a process. So really focus on what are the key messages, who is going to develop the policies, include the private sector in development of those policies, get the funding from the private sector and set these goals in a realistic time frame. That was a super summary, Yara. Thank you so much for that. Um, I, I just want to say a, a huge thank you to my three guests, Lawrence, Yara and Colin, for sharing your thoughts and insights around this area. You've given us some real clarity around some areas we need to be moving forward on. We've set out some guidelines, but I think most importantly, we do need the clearer and well-managed expectations across the broader stakeholder community. And we acknowledge that it's going to take us some time to get there and to deliver the outcomes we need for the net zero society for our country. And I also want to say a big thank you to you, our listeners. And if you want to find out more about unlocking investment for net zero infrastructure, and indeed more thought leadership in this space, please search PwC Real Assets, where you'll find a plethora of information. Also, please subscribe to keep up to date with all our brilliant podcasts. See you next time. <music>